Welcome to the Humanity Matters Podcast, where we discuss and reflect on faith and philosophy, nonprofit leadership, and social issues. We want to engage with ideas on what it means to be a free human being in pursuit of human flourishing. Um, we have a fantastic guest speaker with Dr. Fletcher. Um, he came to talk to my last class when I taught um, nonprofit management, and they wouldn't stop talking about him all semester long. So um, he's got a great story. His organization is fantastic and amazing. And um, I'll let you go ahead and take it away. Hey, thanks, Keisha. Uh, hey, class. How y'all doing? Hope everybody is doing well. I just want to take a few minutes and uh, just talk about my nonprofit, City of Hope Outreach, uh, the things that we do, um, just some interesting things about nonprofit work. And then I just want to hear questions from y'all. I love to hear questions. I think that's a great opportunity to learn from uh, one another. So uh, just to begin, moved here 13 years ago. Uh, I was in the military and was moving here for two years to uh, do some schoolwork and was headed back on to active duty. Uh, in, in that interim period of being here, uh, ended up uh, making a right turn on a street called Robbins. Uh, Robbins, if you take it the other direction, it runs right into the business building on UCA's campus, just so I can orient you. So if you head east on Robbins away from uh, the business college, over the railroad tracks, there is a trailer park back there called Oakwood uh, Village Trailer Park, or within the trailer park, it's called Chateau, but uh, citywide is known as Oakwood Village. And uh, me and my family, my wife and three kids, 13 years ago, we started uh, just serving the community. Uh, from a Christian perspective, we just go out there on Sundays to do uh, some ministry. And then we was doing that, and it was really just the five of us. Uh, the people in the community was kind of figure out what, what we were doing out there. And so um, eventually I got a sleeping bag and a tent and spent the whole weekend uh, out here in Oakwood to develop relationships uh, with the men, women, and children and had some great conversations. And there was under, kind of understanding what I was doing. I still didn't understand what I was doing at the moment. It was just winging it, to be quite honest with you. Um, and then from there, uh, residents from the community came and you know started to participate. And then uh, some relationships that we started to develop. I met uh, the vice president, former vice president of Heifer Village. Uh, he helped me get the nonprofit started, City of Hope Outreach, and we became incorporated in 2009. Uh, and so we started a board. And uh, the thing was, we still didn't have anything. We didn't have any buildings or anything like that, no technology. All we had was some folding chairs and a sound system. And so that's what we did. And um, a group from UCA, Chi Alpha, uh, they bought us a shed. And that was awesome uh, because we were able to put all our folding chairs and equipment in the 
in the shed instead of taking them out of our garage and moving them down to the trailer park and loading stuff back up and taking them back our, to our garage again to this day. That's like my kid's favorite memory because they didn't have to move all the stuff again out of the house. Um, and uh, from there, we started what was called a three hours tutoring or after school initiative. And all we had was a chair, some chairs and a table. And we did it outside. And we had kids come and the kids got involved that way. And then someone donated to us a single wide trailer. And from there, we used that trailer for community meetings. Uh, we got a washer and dryer to help uh, families and individuals who needed help washing clothes. Uh, we uh, eventually would turn it into a shelter for men. And so a couple of years it went past and uh, the building that we're in now just right down the street from the trailer park, uh, the owner allowed us to use it and we moved down in here. And so here, this is where we do our after school initiative now. Uh, we have a technology center uh, to help persons who need access to internet and computers. And that's been very helpful, especially now in 2020 with everything else that's been going on. Um, and we took the trailer and we turned it into a shelter for men. Uh, so as it stands right now here in Conway, uh, there's only three shelters in Conway. There's ours, the Hope Home for Men. There's the Bethlehem House, which you may be familiar with. And then there's the Women's Abuse Shelter uh, that supports abused women and their children. And that's it. And it's a big city. Uh, and countywide, we... I do a homeless count every year in January and we have about a thousand persons that are homeless. Uh, and the majority of those persons come here into the city uh, to access resources and things like that. So obviously the capacity to meet the need of homelessness uh, is not even uh, adequate or sufficient to address the, the issue that is going on. And uh, so we was housing men in the single wide trailer and a family who had been watching what we was doing for a couple of years, uh, the house next door to us, uh, they gave us the house next door. And so we got that renovated and we moved the men from the single wide trailer into that three bedroom, two bath house. And that's where the hope home is now. And then I gave the trailer away uh, to a former uh, hope home resident um, who works at Big Lots now, and he's on his own and, and rocking and rolling. Uh, so uh, essentially, strategically, what we focus on is education, housing, and community development. Education in the form of Coho Academy. Uh, housing, so we have three parts to our housing. One is our transitional housing for the Hope Home for Men. Uh, permanent housing, we're starting an initiative in October uh, to... Uh, help families who are facing eviction. Um, so we have a program to help them maintain permanent housing. And then uh, supportive housing, we're in the midst of a capital campaign to build 10 small homes called Hope Village, which is gonna be right next door. And Hope Village um, is five one bedroom, five two bedroom uh, houses, 490 and 640 square feet. And it's dedicated to uh, veterans, homeless and low income families. And so six of the houses are designated for homeless individuals and families. Two of the houses are designated for veterans and then two 
for low income, low to middle income families. We want to uh, provide a 21st century approach and solution to addressing housing in regards to homelessness, but then also uh, the lack of low income housing that is existing here in the city of Conway. Um, and then our community development, we have several initiatives. Um, we're starting a coho small market, and uh, that's an economic opportunity uh, that'll be provided to uh, residents in the community uh, for them to not only work in the store, but then also get you know, supplies. And it's like a convenience store, basically. That's what I tell people. Um, we have coho gardens, um, and that provides fresh produce and a farmer's market to individuals and families. And we have four of those across the city. Uh, we have one in Oakwood, one next to uh, Chick-fil-A, next to the high school. There's a big one over there next to that church. Uh, one on the grounds of Peace Lutheran Church, and then a fourth one uh, on a street called South Ash. And that provides produce for families. They just come and get it. Uh, but then also it's an educational opportunity for uh, children and also a volunteer opportunity for people in the community. Um, and then we have a uh, partnership with University of Central Arkansas uh, Outreach, and we do nonprofit startups for low-income areas and communities. And so uh, we've been, last three years, we've helped start one in Mitchellville, Arkansas, Eudora, Arkansas, and Corning, Arkansas last year. And that's to help uh, provide uh, capacity building and leadership development for those who want to start a nonprofit and impact their city. So last year, uh, Mitchellville, um, they were able to open their first community center and computer technology center for their kids uh, because the kids there have limited access to uh, Internet. Uh, if you look uh, different statistics. There's a lack of broadband in large parts of Arkansas, typically in southern Arkansas and northeast Arkansas. And so uh, we helped uh, in partnership with UCA and Arkansas Community Foundation to get a technology center open for them. And then in northeast Arkansas with Corning, helping them with some community development and uh, revitalization of their downtown. So they've done some murals and some gardening uh, and they got a lot of other great stuff in the works once we get out of this COVID situation. So uh, that's essentially what we do. Um, I have a board of nine and a staff of uh, 12 made up of people who live in the community, people who have graduated from UCA and Hendrix, um, young and old, pretty diverse um, Dominated by women, I must say, nonprofits work is typically dom uh, a woman-dominated industry. So, ladies, y'all are rocking it, keeping it going. Um, I'm, I'm like the outlier, but either way, uh, y'all all do awesome work. And probably because of the nature of a nonprofit comes from a, a position of wanting to meet the needs of somebody and address um, emotional heartfelt concerns uh, and not trying to be stereotypical, but typically that tends more towards uh, a, a woman's disposition um, and such. So um, not trying to stereotype or generalize anyway, but statistically, if you look across the nation, 
nonprofits are dominated by women. And uh, I think that's necessary. Men, we can get a little bit to numbers and, and cold sometimes because I've seen it happen. Uh, so nonprofit work is an amazing thing. Uh, I, I firmly believe it is one of the necessary entities to address uh, the various social needs uh, that exist in a community, a city or, or state or even a nation. Um, it's the opportunity for an, multiple individuals to get together who have these different goals and then coalesce around a particular goal uh, and see that it makes make it happen. And so from an organizational perspective, um, you know, organizations have their specific strategic goals that they want to meet. But tied into that are individuals who are seeking to accomplish particular goals for their own personal purposes. Right. So, you know, to bring that down practically, um, you know, we have interns that have come through here uh, from UCA and from Hendrix and, you know, interns who, you know, they want to learn about nonprofits or they want to go into teaching or they want to go into um, politics um, or they want to go into, you know, some specific field. And one of the best ways to get an understanding of how their work would affect uh, the human being is through a nonprofit. And uh, for us, we are firmly relationally based. Uh, it's very important for our organization to really make face-to-face -face contact with people and um, develop a relationship with them. Uh, but more importantly, it is very important for us to understand where is it that you wanna go in your life? What are the goals that you have? Um, we don't wanna be paternalistic and come from a vantage point that when someone comes through our doors, hey, we're just gonna do all this for you because the needs of say, Ron, are gonna be different than the, re the needs of Doe and different than the needs of Savannah and Logan. So it can't be a one size fits all approach. We want to one, uh, recognize and affirm your dignity and worth as a human being. We want to, to respect that you have human agency and that just like me, you have goals and desires that you want to meet. And so uh, to affirm who you are as a human being and as a person, uh, it is important that I hear what it is that you want and what you're bringing to the table and then what I'm bringing to the table that we, we kind of merge these things together so that at the end of the day, uh, we can, like as an organization, step back and actually celebrate that person and what uh, they have accomplished. Um, and so that's very important. Uh, another thing about a nonprofit, it's an opportunity to create an infrastructure so that you can raise money. So this stuff can be done for free. Like, it can be done for free, right? It. When, I, when we go to someone to say, hey, Conway Corp., can you help with such and such utility bill, right? Because we get those. Or can say, landlord, can you help with, uh, with the rent, all right? At some point, some dollars have to be transacted, okay? And so whereas, you know, Ron and Noah and Tarasha could individually go and get X amount of dollars, what does it look like when Ron, Noah, and Tarasha come together 
put together this infrastructure, say that, hey, we're raising money for said program. These are the goals of this program. Can you support us with dollars, in-kind donations, some type of resource? Now you're leveraging these individual desires and skills and goals, and you're leveraging in them in such a way that you can accumulate financial resources or non-financial resources to help another individual or a family or a group of people. And so that's the other power of a nonprofit to really leverage those skills and those abilities so that uh, funds can be raised in order to address particular things that are going on uh, in your area. The other thing I would say, um, this is one of the things that we talk to um, when we're helping people in the startup of nonprofits. The first question I ask is why? Like, what is your why? Like, I get what you want to do. I want to know why you want to do it. And then I want to ask you, is there somebody else already in your specific area that is doing that already? Okay. Why do I, why do I want to know why you want to do it? Because that why, that's what's going to keep you through when it gets difficult as a nonprofit. All right. Because a nonprofit, while it's like a business, is not a business. You're not selling something. You know, you're not, you know, at the beginning, tennis shoes or, or T-shirts or something like that. What you are selling is a vision of this is how I see the world right now. And this is how I see the world as I want it to be. And now you got to persuade people to be like, oh, yeah, I can get with that. And what feeds that is that why. Um, then you can talk about that what. Um, but even more importantly, I probably want to know who you are, like your why and who you are, what you are doing. Um, so that's my spiel to y'all. Um, I could talk all, non- all day about nonprofit stuff. Sometimes I get a little wonky, so I have to try to balance the two. But it's important um, to remember your why if you want to start a nonprofit, but also think about your why um, if you're looking to work with a nonprofit. Okay? You be discriminatory, all right? Every nonprofit is great because they're all trying to do something, but you got to figure out which nonprofit best aligns with your own personal why and like your goals further on in life. Because from there, that gives you the opportunity to really thrive in that organization um, and to really go all in and helping in in whatever capacity uh, that you can help that organization. But then also the amount of experience and knowledge that you can take from that nonprofit experience and then take it to whatever your next destination is. Okay. Um, Yeah. So those are my thoughts. What are y'all questions? Who wants to start with questions? Also, if you guys think of something, feel free to throw it up in the chat too. If you don't want to interject and don't want to forget it because that works great as well. Who wants to start? You guys can unmute yourselves as needed. I was just wondering, how is this like, how has COVID impacted you? Yes. So 
COVID, yeah. So we've uh, we by nature of the the work that we do um, and where we do it. So we're in two areas here in Conway, and then like I said, three others in the state. So you got to kind of stay on your toes. Uh, and the other thing is the recognition. What happens in one community, you can't ne- necessarily do in another. Okay, so like here, we have one here in Oakwood and one on South Ash. And so how Coho looks in Coho um, and Oakwood looks a little different than South Ash. All right. And so that requires us to always kind of think outside the box, consider um, the persons that you are working with and their needs. Okay, Um, with COVID, obviously the, the demand went higher because people were losing work or out of work and uh, that was impacting their ability to pay their rent and to pay their utility bills. Um, We had to close our after school program back in March um, to was figuring out what the whole deal was gonna be with with education and school. Um, So now uh, we've gone to a virtual, non-virtual option where kids can come two days a week um, if they miss a day, they can get a virtual help as well. Um, we have some uh, UCA BearServe, AmeriCorps uh, students that are working with us. Um, and so they're partnered together uh, to work with one another. And so that relationship is maintained. But then also if a kid misses a day, then there's that opportunity for that virtual help for their um, homework as well. And so that's an adaptation we've had to do. You know, the sad thing is, Typically, we'll have like 20, 25 kids. We have to bring it down to eight just because of social distancing and, 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 and all that kind of stuff. Uh, in regards to helping families and individuals in need, uh, we did a little transition fundraising-wise to raise money for uh, COVID relief is what we called it. But then we also partnered with uh, three other nonprofits here in town and United Way to raise money to help families as well. So... There again, where I talked about individuals leveraging to create a nonprofit, now you've got multiple nonprofits adapting and leveraging their connections and resources to raise money to help people uh, as well. So that was the other thing that we uh, had to do. And, but then also it created an opportunity um, as well. Uh, the small market is coming out of um, us providing food boxes. Uh, for families uh, during these last few months. And now it's providing an opportunity. Uh, NAPHOS Construction donated to us a building. And so we're turning that into a, a convenience store. And so um, and so those are those opportunities that have come out of that. Um, so like anything in a situation like this, uh, it's important that a nonprofit pays attention to the environment in which it exists in. And um, it has to be willing to adapt some of its practices or even some of its activities uh, to address the needs, but also to continue to be sustainable, um, while at the same time not sacrificing your values or your mission or anything like that. And so, uh, you know, that takes some you know, work looking at the strategic plan. Um, you know, make some adjustments there. Uh, it takes some work looking at the 
the plan for the year and be like, okay, we're just not doing that. And it's going to be, and I tell, <laughs> it's going to be okay. You know, it, it's going to be like, uh, we do a community carnival every October and we've been doing that for uh, 11 years. So the fact that it's not going to happen after doing it like 11 years, you know, it's like, it's going to be okay. Right. It, it's it's going to be all right. We do a Thanksgiving and Christmas store every year. So we'll make some adaptions to that, you know. And so uh, it's a good learning and leadership opportunity, to say the least. Ooh, got some good chats. Let's see here. Uh, Who we got? Follow up question to that. Yep, go ahead, Ron. Would you think it? Would you think it's a good time to start a nonprofit or wait till the pandemic is gone? Yeah, so I think this is a great opportunity if you want to start a nonprofit. One, identify what the specific need is you're trying to address. Okay. Um, obviously, what the pandemic has done, it has exposed uh, some flaws in different segments of our society. And I mean, I don't care what sphere you look at for profit, profit, you know, education, you know, wherever it's exposed a flaw somewhere. So now you're like, OK, what is my passion? Right. What's your why? Now, can I find that need that connects all three of those? OK. Um, and then from there, how am I going to execute this? OK, now, uh, as it stands right now, you know, financially, I would tell I would tell somebody, you know what? Do not focus on trying to get a building and all that kind of stuff. All right. Don't don't put the finances uh, into that much overhead. Focus on what is the need and getting that, getting the resources to meet that need funded. Okay. Um, also, I would encourage someone to really maximize um, the technology that we've got right now. Okay. Um, using Zoom, using, you know, all the different fundraising platforms that are out there um, to be able to tell that story. Uh, to raise that money, uh, to address that need. Um, and the big thing I, I would tell somebody is find that one thing. Don't try to do a thousand things. All right. Find that one thing. Learn how to meet that need. Develop your, your, your system and your processes, your policies and your procedures. And then from there, you can you can build on that. All right. So from. Uh, my experience, like I said, I, I came from the military, so my mindset was like, shoot, we're just going to make it happen, right? So, you know, it's doing this, doing this, doing this, doing this. And then my mentor is like, Philip, you can't do everything. So be have the courage to cut stuff back. So uh, I cut, 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 cut to where we was down to education, housing, and community development. And that's where we stayed, you know? Um, so for instance, if it's providing online tutoring support to kids, right? You could conceivably get a group together, get a zoom account, right? 
get some information together, create a, a little website or something like that for signups, uh, con- con- um, connect with a local school um, with kids um, who are in need of that type of assistance. And you've never had to build a building or anything like that. It's all happened here. Um, but then what happens is once this stuff begins to go to whatever the new normal is, all right, and you feel comfortable to like you want to get an office space, right, to do the tutoring, right? Okay, then go forward, forward with that. But then also understand the second and third order effects when you want to get a building or a vehicle or a or whatever, right? And everything that's associated with that. You get a building. That means I have to have utilities, which means I have to pay for internet, which means I have to have insurance, which means I have to furnish it. You see that? So it's not just, let me go get this building, right? It's everything that's connected with it. It's like when you go move out the dorms to get your first apartment, right? You're not just paying rent. You got to get everything is to, you know, so you can live in there and, it's the similar uh, thought process. So to answer your question, Ron, um, I think it's a prime opportunity and it's paying attention to what the needs are. And again, your, your passion, your why, what's that specific need, that one thing, focus on that and using the, the tools that are available to us uh, to respond in kind. And then tell that story about what you're doing. Like, tell it, tell it. That's a great question. Thank you. Yeah, I'm gonna take one. Here. I'm gonna take one from the chat. Uh, Logan, when did you start working full time for your nonprofit instead of working another job as well? How big does a nonprofit need to be before it becomes a full time profession as an executive director? Okay, so this is what happened with me. So I got a. Uh, job down in Little Rock in the fall, or excuse me, in um, 2007. And I was a voter registration supervisor for all Pulaski County. So I did all the voter registration, sending out absentee balance. I was a supervisor for that, right? And then at the same time, I started this, this, this work here in the trailer park. So I would work during the day, and then I would come and pay visits to people in the evenings. All right. Uh, So I was doing that from 2007 to December 2009. And then um, I made the conscious decision after talking to my family. I said, if we're going to do this, I have to be all in on this. And so I resigned from my job in Little Rock. And uh, all we had was our savings. And uh, somebody gave us ten thousand dollars. And that's how I got started. So I spent my time out in the trailer park and I spent my time fundraising, uh, trying to like figure this whole thing out. And that's where all my energy uh, was at that moment. Um, So it was two years of me doing working full time job down in Little Rock and then coming up here and on my weekends doing the work up here. do I recommend that to? No, I don't. Uh, I don't. Um, I'm just. I just think differently. Um, but again, that depends on the nature of the nonprofit as well. 
uh, how big does the so how big the nonprofit? Yeah, that kind of again that, that depends on the nature of the nonprofit, but then also uh, the amount of infrastructure that you've got uh, built within the nonprofit. If you understand um, if how the nonprofit is designed, is that you know someone's going to be contacting you on a daily basis, um, and somebody needs to come to a particular place. I'm thinking in a more normal setting, a particular place. Then you have to start thinking about funding yourself or looking for a grant that will help begin to pay for a position. Okay, which could be the executive director or it could be somebody like y'all, right? Who, who does that work. Um, and so again, it, you have to look at the needs of the nonprofit, the type of nonprofit it is, um, and then the direction that you are headed. But then also understand, um, I tell a lot of people, uh, if we wanna be an executive director for a nonprofit and if it's something from the startup, don't do it for the money. Like, don't get this confused with United Way or Salvation Army, those those giants that have been out there for for decades. Right. And um, whose executive director salaries are probably larger than my annual budget in some cases. Uh, I mean, in some cases it is. Uh, but remember, it's it's uh, get into it for the for the love of it again, for that passion and that why. And then I tell people that money will take care of itself. It will. Because people hear what you're doing and they'll be like, hey, I want to support that in some form or fashion. Or here's a grant that can help you uh, really get things rolling. Can I follow up with that just yes. with y'all? Other than you, when was it that you hired your first true employee just for Coho? How much longer after you went full time did you then hire somebody else? Uh, 2000, a year later, 2011. Was that a bigger step than just going out on your own? Yes, it is. Because, so here's the thing. Um, so this is where it's like a business, right? So when it's just me, if, if pay is small, then I'm like, okay, whatever. Right. All right. I'm like, okay, I'll manage. Right. But when you bring another person in now, you have to, you you're concerned with making sure that person gets paid right so you for me i've always looked at it as not only am i concerned about the fletcher household but i'm also concerned about the other household because i went into an agreement with him or her saying hey i need you to do this work this is how much you're going to get compensated and with the nature of a nonprofit, with fundraising and all of that um it's it's that's always in the back of my mind. I've got to make sure not only the people are doing the work are getting paid, but also keeping the lights on and also the kids so that they have snacks and also the guys at the house, they have what they need. You know, so all of that, I think it's more pressure when you say, hey, I want to bring on a, a person and another person and then, oh, shoot, I got to pay payroll taxes and you know, all the other stuff that comes with that. So um, it's a it's a great thing to do to say, hey, I'm about to hire somebody. 
But then also you're like, oh, here we go. I got to add to the budget because that's essentially what I'm doing, um, adding to the budget, which then my board of directors is like, okay, we got to make this happen. I'm like, okay, let's, let's make this happen. So it's a rewarding thing, but again, it's nothing to take lightly. Doe, Doe's got a question. Uh, do you have one specific moment that you felt the fruits of your labor, quote unquote? Uh, I understand that starting a nonprofit can be very stressful. So this, this make that moment sweeter. Also, I was with AmeriCorps last year and I worked with Nicole at Conway Cradle Care. Oh, I love her too. Great question, Doe. <laughs> um, the fruits of my labor. Uh, That's a great question. You know, I think um, there's been some significant events. One is a family, Emilio and Nancy Marcial. Uh, they were living in a very rundown living situation. Um, they were older and they had custody of their granddaughter. And uh, DHS removed their granddaughter from their home because of the conditions of the home. And so part of the conditions of them to get her back was better living conditions. And so um, we got a whole bunch of people together. Uh, and it was an all day affair. And we uh, partnered with an apartment complex, got a apartment, uh, got a wheelchair ramp installed because Emilio was a double amputee, got that installed. Um, one group of people went and shopped and decorated the new apartment. Another group of people were in the old house, cleaning it out, throwing out stuff, getting what they wanted kept, moved over. Another group of people were taking Emilio and Nancy out to lunch and just like a day of just calling a glow up basically. And then at the end of the day, um, they moved into their own spot. And then five months later, they was able to get their granddaughter back. Um, I was like, that's my, that's my why, you know? Um, the second, I think again, was um, Fred, Fred Ashley is his name. And when we moved out of the trailer and into the Hope Home, uh, the opportunity to give a man who was formerly homeless his own place. And I say, hey, I'm giving it to you this. Just give me a dollar. Um, and he had a job. And he got a car and he was on his own. And to remember where he came from and to where he's at now, um, that's awesome. And then uh, another one is last year, we was, for seven years, we was in a community called Brookside. Um, and uh, we developed great relationships there. And that community was primarily made up of immigrants from Honduras and Guatemala. Uh, 135 trailers. And last year, the the owner of the property announced that he was closing. Um, and he met with me and he made the announcement April 15th. And everybody had till uh, June to get out. And it made the papers and, and all that kind of stuff, because out of that was a lot of shady contracts and um taking advantage of people because of language and, and things like that. And so 
Uh, all last year, we helped move like 120 people uh, to different living situations and trying to manage, you know, kids trying to stay in their same schools that they was going to be in and um, eventually having to have to go to court and testify against them and, and all of that. And uh, that was another moment because I remember the first night we had our community meeting there after the announcement and the amount of tears and anger and what are we supposed to do? And I just remember telling them, uh, I give you my word, no one's going to be homeless. And uh, from April all the way through the end of August, uh, we worked hard. I had to bring in the attorney general to help, uh, Conway Court to help, uh, a whole host of different people. Eventually, I became the bad guy to him. But what was more important was uh, these families that we had developed relationships for the last seven years. Um, and in fact, one of them, one of the kids who started, he works for me now um, here at Oakwood. Uh, and so he started in Coho Academy and he graduated high school two years ago. And now he works for me. And so it's those kind of things that go a long way. And when those moments happen, I'm like, shoot, I can do this another 10 years and not even think about it. It don't even matter what bad stuff happens. That one event can keep me, keep me going and use it as a, as a reminder of my own personal why uh, and passion for this. So thank you for that question, though. Hmm, Ayana, how did the people respond to you and your family at the beginning when you started? Um, they didn't understand what I was doing because uh, we would come out there on Sundays and it was like, what is this guy doing? And when uh, I decided to spend the weekend out there, uh, a guy named Robert, he was one of the local dealers in the community. Um, he came up to me and he said, uh, so you staying out here all weekend? Be careful. I said, all right, I'll be all right, Robert. He said, I'll come by and check on you. I said, cool. Um, and during that time, some young boys came out. And one night we sat up Saturday night and they wanted to talk about God and being a teenager and all that kind of stuff. And they brought me a bologna sandwich and a Capri Sun. And I thought that was awesome. And so we had a meal around that. And then Sunday, when I woke up, Robert came back again. He said, hey, see, it's not that bad as you thought it was. I said, no, it's not. He was like, you serious? I said, yeah, I am. And then after that, people was like, "Okay, he's not going to be some fly by night kind of person. And 13, I'm still here, you know, and uh, this is this is home. You know, I feel more home. here around the men, women, and children, because there's just so much realness here. Um, There's nothing to hide behind, right? Like, if you're having a bad day, somebody's going to be having a bad day. You know, if, you know, somebody is like, you know, this be cussing up a storm, they're like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm going to, I'll be like, it's all right. Just get it out. You know, this is a a safe space. and then the opportunity for people to get involved and however they want to get involved. 
uh, it's beautiful, but it's come because people who are who have been used to people coming and going and taking from them in their lives realize there's a group of people who like have been here and are still here and are are helping in a variety of ways and um, you know barring some cataclysmic cataclysmic event you know we'll still be here thank you so much dr fletcher y'all can mute your unmute yourselves and say thank you as well we appreciate you taking time out of your we know busy busy schedule hey i appreciate all y'all i do so hey thank you thank you Thank you for listening to the Humanity Matters podcast. For more information, visit the website philipfletcher.org or send us an email at humanitymatterspodcast at gmail.com. And remember, as always, if we remember to live in hope, we can do the impossible. So be love, be kind, and be generous.